Hello, everybody, and welcome to Wi-Fi Now TV in association with RCR Wireless News. My name is Klaus Hetting. And on today's show, we're speaking to Sami Susiaho of the cloud. He's going to talk to us about carrier-grade Wi-Fi. What is it, and how do we get more of it? Also on the show, Sean Sullivan from F-Secure. We're going to discuss how public Wi-Fi is a blue ocean of opportunity for cyber criminals and what to do about that. Join us right after this message. Telecom Careers, the number one global telecom and wireless job board. Telecomcareers.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. And we have a great for show for you today with two uh, super good guests, Sami Susiho of the cloud. Carrier-grade Wi-Fi is a super hot topic. We need to know more about it, how to improve the quality of Wi-Fi networks out there. And Sami's been working uh, for a long time on this, uh, specifically on the cloud network in the UK. And we're going to ask him about uh, that in just a second. Also, uh, in our ongoing uh, segment about uh, Wi-Fi security, we've got F-Secure's Sean Sullivan here, and uh, he's going to tell us about all of that in a second. Now, before uh, we carry on with the interviews, I want to do my usual self-promoting plug. Don't forget that Wi-Fi Now, the conference is coming up this November 17th to 19th in Amsterdam. And I know there's all sorts of other conferences going, up and going on, including one in San Jose. Don't go to that. You get to meet all the people doing the actual Wi-Fi work in Europe, in Amsterdam. So make sure uh, you go to Wi-Fi now, uh, events.com slash Europe and register, check out our great program and register for that. And I'm really looking forward to seeing you all there. Also, uh, the quiz, Wi-Fi now, the quiz, uh, we've just launched it, relaunched it today. Go to our Twitter handle at Wi-Fi now events. Uh, on Twitter and check it out. It's a fun 21, 22 questions that you have to answer. Um, and you've got 90 seconds to do it. It's quite hard and you got one shot at it. So have some fun with that and we'll, you can win, you can win fabulous prizes, including a free pass, a gold pass to Wi-Fi Now, uh, the conference in Amsterdam. So make sure you do that. All right, with that, I'd like to introduce our first uh, guest on the show today. His name is Sami Susiaho. I've known him for a couple of years. I think we always had great conversations uh, about Wi-Fi and the state of Wi-Fi. And um, Sami, it's great to have you on the show. Hi, Klaus. Uh, thanks for having me. It's uh, great to be here. I think you have a good show going. All right, thanks very much. Sami, just before we start the carrier-grade Wi-Fi discussion, before we open that up, can you tell us a bit about uh, what Sky and the cloud is is doing, generally speaking, in the Wi-Fi space? Well, sure. Um, cloud is wholly owned by Sky Sky UK. We operate something like 24,000 hotspots today in the UK and almost the same again in the rest of Europe. Um, what we try to do is make the best Wi-Fi possible. So developing it over and above uh, the standards for you, if you will. And uh, we also pay some attention to what the standards are doing, uh, participate in the work groups and, and keep a close eye on what's happening. But effectively what we try to do is just drive a bit, a couple of years ahead of the, the curve, if you will, just to make sure that um, the content that Sky owns, which is crucial 
for broadcaster is available for the users when they are out and about. So essentially, the cloud is 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 an extension of the access network in in a sense of BSkyB, of course, the the the, the cable TV provider. Uh, in the UK, can you, as I understand, can you say something about the size of your network? I think you've got a few thousand Wi-Fi hotspots out there. Is that correct? Uh, Twenty-two thousand hotspots and um, maybe some forty thousand access points in the UK. In the UK and internationally, the brand is also known, right? We, I've come across it even here in Denmark. Um, yes, we have uh, presence in seven European countries. Uh, don't ask me what they are. I'm quite quite sure that it changes every now and then. And the last I checked, uh, Germany was the biggest. Uh, we are a really well-known brand in the four and five-star hotel business, for example. Right. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about carrier grade, because this has been an issue that uh, has been hot, I think, for a couple of years. And when we talk about carrier grade, it's we're not only talking about carrier Wi-Fi, we're talking about, uh, uh, shall we say, a level of quality that's achievable, right? Can, can you give us your definition of, of what that is? Well, that's a good question. Um, about two years ago, I think I challenged a couple of conferences where people were using the term all the time uh, to define what it is. And of course they couldn't because there was no definition. Uh, nowadays, we are almost there. Wi-Fi Alliance is defining carrier grade Wi-Fi uh, certification path. WBA has uh, wrote, written a white paper about what it is in their opinion. And uh, it seems that everyone still has an opinion, but in a nutshell, in my opinion, it's Wi-Fi that's good enough for carriers to offload into without worrying about it. So without just throwing the bytes into a black hole, but actually using Wi-Fi as an extension to the cellular network. So good user experience, um, authentication uh, in a secure and rather seamless way. and um, and uh, diligent maintenance, if you will. Um, so it's no longer just a, an offload sync, if you will, but actually a, a network that provides the users the quality that they expect uh, without having to think about which network they are connecting to. Is it Wi-Fi or is it cellular? Uh, users shouldn't care, it should be transparent. So, so in your view, also, also in your view, drawing on the experience that you have from your everyday work uh, at the cloud, what, what are the challenges in providing carrier grade, regardless of the definition of it? Because I, I assume you're, you're striving towards a, a top quality, of course, in your network, right? Well, it is a license-free spectrum, so that's always the first thing to worry about, how to, how to cope with the interference. Um, but to be honest, that's not the biggest challenge. It's just the, the diligent um, development of technology, diligent uh, radio planning, deploying the network in a professional manner. Once you got all of those sorted out um, and you build a scalable core so that when the users come, you can actually serve them even during peak. We peak in, well, I can't really tell you, but let's say it's quite a substantial amount of users, uh, even on a cellular network uh, level. So some of you are also actually saying that the interference issues because of the shared unlicensed band and so forth, is not actually uh, as big a problem as possibly many people assume that it is. Well, most Wi-Fi operators have deployed uh, a single band access point network. So they didn't invest in the dual band back in the day when 
three, four years ago when we started deploying it. This was before the smartphones even supported it. Uh, because we, I knew that they will come, I convinced the business to uh, deploy a dual band network and await for the phones to come, for the smartphones, the tablets, uh, to start to utilize it. And, and now it's more than 60% of our traffic is on, on 5 gigahertz. And uh, there's a bit more space there, not abundantly so. You still have to worry about DFS and, and things like that, which makes 5 gigahertz much less abundant than people might think. However, there's still, at this moment, sufficient spectrum on the 5 gigahertz not to worry about it. The 2.4 gigahertz tends to be very, very congested, though, in popular hotspots. But as long as you can, I mean, Mobile World Congress last year had more than 80% of the data on the 5 gigahertz. So, so heavy users can use 5 gigahertz. Right, absolutely. So what about uh, maybe on referring back to your, your own operation, uh, things like 802.11ac and Hotspot 2.0, are those technologies that you're using currently? Do you have a plan to upgrade? Well, Hotspot 2.0 is something we can support everywhere. All of our, all of our estate is uh, capable of doing that. That's because we picked it up quite early when the 802.11u came out of the press. We started worrying about it and making sure that what we do deploy can be software upgraded to, to support it. So as a result, Passpoint isn't really something that we'd have to do anything, just enable it. We don't want to until we have a really good mechanism to manage the user experience first, because it would end up in a disaster otherwise. Um, in AC, phase one is out. It doesn't really make that much of a difference in a hotspot environment. Uh, phase two, however, brings uh, multi-user MIMO. So, but even that takes a, a while for the users to adopt it and uh, AC phase two is most useful when all of the devices support it. So as long as I have legacy devices on five gigahertz, which is N, um, I can't really use the full benefits of the multi-user MIMO. AC phase two is certainly a welcome addition. The biggest right. thing about AC, of course, is the uh, standardized beam forming. So the devices can actually be informed better with the network because they speak a common language. So I like AC. I do think the phase one is overhyped specifically for service provider environments it won't make that much of a difference phase two however is a different thing we will embrace it next year when it comes available right so sami um tell us a little bit about uh, uh whether you think there are any technical pieces if you like missing in order to achieve the carrier grade standard i'm also not just thinking about uh specific software service management stuff, but also, for example, deployment solutions, because I remember one presentation you showed, um, you had actually designed your own uh, um, deployment solutions for, for light, uh, light pole street furniture, that sort of thing. What's missing in your view, if anything? Well, the biggest thing is admission control. Stand-based admission control would be uh, great to have, so the network should be aware of what it can do when it runs out of capacity and uh, either tell the devices that, you know what, I'll give you a, a red light. It's a bad idea to join, but if you have nowhere else to go, by all means come here. And a red light meaning that no, no, I'm at capacity. And if I was to take more users on, more devices on, uh, that would affect the user experience of all of the connected users. And um, that mechanism is crucial for the wide adoption of, you know, free, seamless, uh, authentication like password. 
And, and when are we likely to see something like that? Well, we have it. Um, I think it might, might take a while before the industry gets it. Uh, we were trying to put it on passport phase three. Didn't make it. Passport phase four, maybe in a year or two. We'll, right. I, I think we'll have it. And in terms of the guidelines, uh, I don't know if you're the right person to ask, but in terms of the carry grade guidelines, you said that uh, the Wi-Fi Alliance is working on some of that, the WBA. Do you think there will be an agreement where somebody, some organization will come out and actually issue a guideline? I know it's probably not, it's not going to be mandatory, but at least it would help the industry if there was such a thing. Well, it looks like at the moment it will be, you know, all of the latest and greatest uh, certifications, basically taking the Wi-Fi Alliance test track. And if you tick 90% of the boxes, that's carrier grade. It looks like that. And WBA came from a bit different uh, perspective, putting some guidelines on deployments as well. And that being then carrier grade. I'm not really sure how one would certify. And, and they were mostly worried about the roaming. If you do a good enough roaming, um, then, then you're carrier grade. In my opinion, it would need to have admission control, airtime fairness, and uh, RF planning should be done professionally. In, in that case, I would stamp it as carrier grade. So we have to ask you about LTEU. I know it was not in the list of questions that I sent you, but there's so much talk about it that I feel compelled to ask you about it. How be, also because you said the magic word fairness, right? What's, what's <laughs> your fairness, they don't live in the same sentence. <laughs> right. So what's, um, what's your position on that? Well, LTEU is what I've referred to as the Wild West of LTE on license-free. So UK, UK doesn't have a problem with it because it's US, India and China predominantly that can use it. It's not available in the well, European markets, if you will, uh, because it lacks a coexistent mechanism. It might be one of the reasons. Um, LAA is a step to the better direction, if you will where coexistent mechanism is actually considered and uh, ex especially the coexistent mechanism that Wi-Fi uses. So exponential back off um, and uh, listen before talk, exponential back off is obviously crucial to function properly under license free without hogging the spectrum. Mm -hmm. But I still have my concerns if the uh, developments will be, if the standard will have sufficient opportunities for the networks to coexist and even so, if the standard did have some optional features, what if they don't become mandatory? So if there's an option to coexist, but you don't have to, you can always be aggressive if you want. And to be honest, LTE over Wi-Fi won't be any more efficient or maybe 10% more efficient, which is irrelevant in this conversation, unless it's becoming uh, less accommodating in terms of co coexisting. Well, so, that's, you know, yeah, that's precisely the same conclusions I've come to, and I'm very happy that you reiterate them here, because, especially with regards to the 10% efficiency. Yeah. Sami, I, I have one last question for you. Um, in terms of the future for carrier Wi-Fi generally for the offload story that, is, that I've been a proponent of for a long time, how do you see that? Or, or the, are there more operators interested in getting a piece of your capacity? We offload some operators already, and more operators are knocking on the door. Um, I think when the capacity starts to run out from the existing 4G networks, it becomes more and more important. Um, offloading is obviously something on every carrier's 
radar. The strategy guides are only thinking of when, not if. Right. Very good, Sami. Thanks so much for coming on the show. It's uh, it's been a delight to have you. Super good insights, and we'll have have to ask you to come back sometime. All right. Oh, thanks. Thank you very much. Thanks very much, Sami Susiaho of the Cloud B Sky B. So uh, everybody, uh, this is uh, this is going to be uh, a little bit more, shall we say, in the area of um, cybercrime, which what's coming up here, because I've got with me. Sean Sullivan of F Secure. Sean, welcome to the welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Sean, uh, for those of our viewers who are not familiar with F Secure, maybe you can just tell a little bit about that company that you're obviously working for, and also a little bit about what your role is for them. Yes. Uh, well, F Secure is a security vendor. Um, traditionally, having started off with antivirus, these days doing lots of different types of internet security. We have operator partners, uh, consumers that we sell to, uh, corporate business teams. We have like lots of different business lines. We have uh, among the resellers and operators more than 200 plus uh, internet service providers that we provide security as a service through. So we have a very global reach, but not a lot of folks actually uh, know our brand as such compared to the, I think, 152 countries that routinely uh, paying our back end. So we, we have um, lots of different software services. And these days we have also incidents response teams that uh, investigate uh, companies that have been hacked and uh, do pen testing and vulnerability testing for those companies as well. Right. So tell us a little bit about uh, public Wi-Fi security or Wi-Fi security generally, because there's a number of uh, horror stories out there, you know, seven-year-old girls hacking through to routers and things like that. How bad is it out there? Well, people. It's probably the start of the problem who set bad Wi-Fi passwords on their or bad router passwords so that anybody can jump on uh, Wi-Fi hotspots. So the um, people and then the devices, the devices are too eager to jump on any available hotspot that they can find. So the, the Wi-Fi, um, Wi-Fi is great. You know, I use it all the time. I used it yesterday when I was visiting Stockholm. Someone set up a 4G router, Wi-Fi. I mean, you can't live without Wi-Fi. Uh, the problem is like Wi-Fi that's badly configured by people. Um, and it's lots of opportunity uh, when you find something that's not well configured or is poorly protected by a password or is just a big wide open space and you then have to share that with other people um, because you're on a network after all and every other device on that network can see your device. And if your device has ports open, it's vulnerable. Right. So can you give, give us some examples because I know you're researching into this and, and obviously you follow this all the time. Can you give us some examples of, of cases where uh, you know, criminals have, have hacked into something? Well, criminal cases, I, I know of some, but I'm not going to disclose those because of confidentiality. We've done some research of, of cases. Um, and it's not easy to actually report on the others that we haven't had direct uh, dealings with because it's, because it's a local proximity type of attack. Um, it goes underreported. But in, in the types of things that we're concerned about, uh, we did a, an experiment in London uh, where we set up our own hotspot with a pen tester in, in 2014, in the spring of 2014. And in the time that we set up that hotspot, just advertising it as free Wi-Fi, hundreds of devices connected with it, interacted with it, and many uh, devices connected to it and actively used it. And one of those accounts in the Westminster area actually sent email, and it was a POP3 account, so that the email 
and the password for his email account, the person's email account, went through in plain text, clearly readable to us. So it's not necessarily just what's on Wi-Fi, but what people are sending through Wi-Fi. That's the problem. Right. Mm -hmm. um, Wi-Fi is great if the traffic you're sending over it is encrypted. Um, but Wi-Fi, you know, it, it's, it just moves traffic. Um, the traffic that you move over it, you know, you're the one responsible for encrypting it. And, right. and that's so, where there's lots right. of opportunity to grab stuff that criminals can use. Right. So, so what are the methods that, uh, you know, people would use, uh, you know, to get a hold of other people's data? I mean, it's, it, obviously malware is one way. Mm. There's various other ways. Well, um, you can set up your own rogue hotspot that imitates the known um, hotspot names that the consumers might know. They'll jump on your hotspot and then you pass the traffic along to the legitimate provider. So you're then the doppelganger. And if anything's moving through you on your way to delivering it to the carrier or to the you know, cafe's Wi-Fi, uh, if it's not you know, encrypted, um, there are opportunities there where they can crack in. So it's, you don't really need a whole lot of equipment. There is a well-known uh, pen testing tool called a pineapple that's out there. That's a Wi-Fi pineapple available for 150, 150 bucks, I think. And another few, I think it's another 50 or something for like a, a battery pack so you can go on all day long. Um, is radio tool, there's also like just ordinary network admin tools that people themselves can use to test. On an iOS device, you can go to the App Store and find a very useful network admin tool called Thing, F-I-N-G. And any Wi-Fi network that I join, I tend to like to scan to see who else is there with me. On the Norwegian air flight that I took yesterday, uh, there were 28 devices connected to the in-flight Wi-Fi, and I think all but two of them were Apple devices. So, you know, it, it's just enlightening to just, as a consumer, uh, just test to see that the network that you're on, how open is it, how many other people, how many other people's devices can you see connected. And I have uh, done port scans on my colleagues when we're in a network, and we know each other's MAC addresses, IP addresses, and we start pinging away to see what can we find? Um, so we're at a conference, we're on the conference Wi-Fi, and we'll then be scanning each other, uh, you know, to testing our, our product and, and, and seeing just how much we can find out about each other. It's, it's not difficult at all if you're in a big pool of people to like start pinging away at them. So, so how common are these things? I'm talking about the case where somebody sets up a, uh, you know, fake Wi-Fi hotspot. I mean, how often does that happen? That goes underreported. I don't think it's epidemic, but you know it happens. Uh, I would imagine if it happens, uh, part of the thing is like if it happens as much as ATM skimmers, it probably happens quite a lot. Um, there are other, I think it's more like uh, kids these days that are trying to find some stuff that might be useful to them. It's not organized crime that's really doing this on scale at the moment, right? right. It's, it's kids that are doing this because they're opportunistic. There is one big case where Wi-Fi was abused uh, years ago in the TJ Maxx case, where the guys sat out in the parking lot of a, a large American retailer, and they caught the credit card traffic that was supposed to go from the cash registers to the back end of the office, and they were using Wi-Fi in the, in the store to do that, and they weren't encrypting. So the guy sat out in the parking lot and just scooped up everything that was going over the, over the, over the Wi-Fi, caught up a bunch of credit cards of uh, TJ Maxx customers. Um, so there are gangs that have gone after businesses that haven't implemented their Wi-Fi very well for their own in-store purposes. Um, so I, I, you can go through and find lots of different cases where 
you know, Google Street View even has like scooped up data that was being broadcast indiscriminately because people didn't put a password on their Wi-Fi. Um, there are cases, I think, of um, small guys grabbing stuff. Uh, fortunately, we're not dealing with a situation where there's a big organized effort by a particular crime gang scooping up data. But, you know, that's not going to matter to you if one guy that's just screwing around decides to scoop up stuff and it's your data. Right. But okay, so but if the Wi-Fi is encrypted according to hotspot people standards and so on, then you're okay. The problem is that not many people do that, right? Well, the, it's encrypted except for everybody else that's in there with you, right? So, I mean, there, there are things, um, yeah, there, there's, there's the, the Wi-Fi standards are getting better all the time. But mm. uh, for instance, on our example, uh, our experiment, when we were in London and Westminster, we were outside the Queen Elizabeth Conference Center, I believe it was. Mm -hmm. um, you could just set up Queen Elizabeth Conference 2 because uh, people were coming out for cigarette breaks and we, and we had free Wi-Fi, but we could easily set up an additional Wi-Fi hotspot. And unfortunately, at a conference center, people all jump on the same hotspot. It's uh, too much traffic, uh, not enough bandwidth, and so they get frustrated. And if they see an alternative, you know, I could easily set up a hotspot that I call an alternative name. Looks like it's official, but it's just like number two. They'll jump on my hotspot. Um, so they won't use the encrypted one like they ought to. You can easily like grab people and jump on something else just because the first one, you know, doesn't have the wonderful bandwidth that like the or, you know Sami's uh, network might have. It, there's like there's tons of crappy Wi-Fi spots out there, so that you can easily get people to jump onto yours. Uh, right. So it's yeah, if it's encrypted. Uh, then, you know, you have like hotels and cafes. Um, you might have a password to get onto the Wi-Fi, but once you're in, you're in a network. And right. is, is there configuration inside of that then keeping you away from other devices being able to... So, yeah, an outsider not in the network, but, you know, a password is a speed bump. Yeah, exactly. So let, let's talk a little bit about the solutions that exist for, you know, protecting the general public who obviously... He wants uh, to connect to Wi-Fi anytime and anywhere, right? Uh, Absolutely. What are the solutions, yeah? Well, so first thing, you want HTTPS whenever you can get it for all the stuff that you're using. Pop three email over like, you know, Wi-Fi that you don't know with your password being passed. I mean, that, that's too old of a protocol, right? Use, use some web mail that's got HTTPS. Um, secondarily, uh, a VPN. I've got a product I can suggest, F-Secure <laughs> Freedom. Um, so that's, that's easy to get on any device you want, Windows, Mac, Android, iOS. Uh, it's less than the cost of a cup of coffee per month these days for our Wi-Fi service. And I say that as a paying customer of our, of our product because I like to give my team customer feedback, not just colleague feedback. Um, and it's a product that I'd, I'd pay for. Well, I'm going to renew my subscription again. Um, it's... Easy to, and I found myself in Florida, brand new iPad, uh, Airbnb kind of rental. You save a lot of money. The place had Wi-Fi. I opened up my browser and I landed on the admin page for the Wi-Fi configuration. <laughs> that seemed a bit shaky to me, so I immediately like flipped on the Wi-Fi, uh, the, the the VPN from from my laptop. Then I felt better, right? Because I want to encrypt everything. Uh, this is all too common an experience, I think. So the VPN is like a godsend. Plus, it connects you back to your home country when you're sitting in Key Largo, Florida. And I wanted to access, you know, Finnish banking. Uh, so I want an access node that's in Finland anyway. So uh, yeah. VPNs. So you, you also want to have a, like up-to-date browsers that are handling uh, the implementation of all this properly. And you want to make sure you've got good apps from from folks that are concerned about implementing the uh, the latest encryption standards there as well. Apple's iOS 9 
uh, you know, now they're encouraging all their app developers to use the right encryption protocol uh, so that it's and it implemented well. So that's that's a good thing as well. Right. Okay. So, but in this case, we're actually talking about an app, right? The, the, the product is an app. You need to download it to the phone and then it's a service that you subscribe to. Is that how it works? Yep. That's how it works. Uh, Freedom downloads to the, uh, the device. You just um, set up a subscription um, for iOS that I pay for. It's like $29.99 a year. Uh, so as I said, like less than a cup of coffee, you get, uh, and besides uh, providing an encrypted tunnel uh, for your traffic to go through while you're on the Wi-Fi, uh, we have uh, browsing protection that will keep you away from any scam sites. And there are some that try to manipulate uh, Android and iOS users by using JavaScript to try to trap the browser into a loop and throw people into the technical support scams. Uh, if it's on Windows or Mac, it avoids you know malware sites. And then we also like remove tracking from third-party tracking. So it uh, reduces actually some of the amount of content you're moving through the VPN, which makes it uh, performance-wise just as good as if you weren't using a VPN. So, um, you know. It, it, it works. It's it's ours especially. So one button setup, one big button to turn it on. Uh, your mom can do it. Right, right. So obviously the performance part is really important as well because you don't want your stuff to slow down and, and that's. Yeah. But here's well, a million dollars. Right. So here's the video. Videos are primary importance because here we are, like videos eating the web. And yeah, our our ours is definitely geared towards high quality HD video streaming, no lags. Right. Exactly. Um, here's the million dollar question, or maybe the $29 question. Will this fix all the uh, Wi-Fi security problems that the regular person is ever likely to face? Or are, is there stuff that it won't protect you? You still have the difficulty if you've got to attach to the Wi-Fi network, right? And then it makes its handshake and starts talking. And iOS will start spilling its, uh, a lot of connections to apple.com and then it'll do a handshake to the VPN connection, right? So if I'm gonna set up a rogue network and imitate a legitimate vendor, um, you'll jump on and there's gonna be some amount of opportunity there for something to leak out before the VPN kicks in and then you're good. So um, if you're really, really concerned about security, so if you're uh, say a human rights journalist or something um, using a laptop, I've suggested you, know, you would then uh, need to boot up a, a browser in safe mode and make sure you don't have any background services running that want to make connections over the network until you're sure your VPN is established. Mm -hmm. So for people who are really concerned about security, um, um, somebody imitating a hotspot out there mm -hmm. uh, is still kind of an issue. We still have a, a few things to worry about. Once you know that you're established, uh, you're good to go. But our devices, unfortunately, um, me as a security guy, I turn off push notifications. I don't like things running in the background because I like a better battery life. So my device connecting to a network really doesn't have a whole lot to say. The average individual, however, as soon as their device connects to Wi-Fi, it starts spilling its guts. Um, <laughs> and, and I wish I could improve that as well with our product, but I mean, I can only, uh, once we get established, then they're good. So like, um, th there is advice still to be given about properly configuring devices and helping consumers can configure their devices so the device isn't so eager to spill their secrets. Sean Sullivan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Super good insights there and very good advice. And by the way, I should say F-Secure is speaking at Wi-Fi Now in Amsterdam uh, this November. And we're also, in fact, going to do a live Wi-Fi hack on stage on November 17th just to show everybody how that can be done. That'll be a lot of fun. So make sure you don't miss that. Thank you, Sean. Thank you.
All right, everybody, that was it for today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. And all there is left for me to say is to tell you that we've got a show again next week, same time, same place, with uh, guests Juan Carlos Zuniga of InterDigital. He's going to talk about um, Wi-Fi security uh, using MAC address privacy. That's a, a suggested change to the IEEE standards. He's going to talk uh, to us about that. And Amir Rajwani of Spectrum Max will be here as well. Spectrum Max is a Texas-based company, has a new approach to Wi-Fi calling and other carrier-grade services over Wi-Fi. So don't miss that. Great to have you with us, all you viewers out there, as usual. Join us again next week, same place, same time. Thanks very much. Wi-Fi Now is a production of RCR TV News. To suggest a show topic or to learn more about Wi-Fi Now events, you can reach Klaus Heading at klaus at headingconsulting.com. To find out more about Wi-Fi Now and all things wireless, visit rcrwireless.com.